it would be my joy if you would join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the last couple weeks we've been walking through uh, the last chapter of 2 Corinthians where Paul is talking about this glorious gospel, this glorious and this powerful gospel of how Jesus came and lived and died and rose again and through the preaching of this gospel, dead hearts are made alive, blind eyes can see. But this morning we're turning and seeing that even though this is a glorious and a powerful gospel, the Lord chooses in his wisdom to use less than glorious means to bring about that powerful gospel. To to use weak people like you and me to to display and to preach that gospel. Because in 1 Corinthians it says, but God chose What is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And so this morning I pray we can lean into our our weakness, into our not enoughness, that God's power might be displayed. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death Death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that his grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning in our weakness. Lord, that you would help us as we are still and know that you are God, that we would look away from ourselves, hoping in ourselves, hoping in our enoughness, and yet in our weakness, Lord, that we would collapse all our faith in you, place all our hope in you, that, Lord, you would show yourself as more than enough for us, because, Lord, we We can't do this. Lord, we cannot raise the dead, but Lord, we hope in you who does. So Lord, may your grace be too deep to even fathom for us this morning. May your strength be more than enough for us, and may you get all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the worst things that any of us wants to do in a week is to appear weak 
to anybody. It's one of the biggest fears of our lives, one of the biggest dangers, no matter if it's in marriage or it's our workplace or it's with our friends. No matter what, we don't want to appear weak. We do all we can to hide our need, to cover up our weakness, to not show that we're broken. We do everything we can to appear strong enough to others, to, to look like we have it all together. It starts when we're young, doesn't it? Little boys, even when they're little, when they fall down, they're told, they're not, you're not supposed to cry. Be a man. Brush it off. Little girls learn from a young age to try to appear put together, to look like a princess. And it doesn't stop then. It continues when we get older. Men are not supposed to show any signs of being hurt, of being needy, of being broken, of being insufficient anyway. While women strive each and every day to appear invincible, like they're put together on social media. And sadly, really sadly, in the place where it should be very different, it's no different in the church today. We, too, like to hide our weakness. We want our music to be perfect and to be polished. We want our pastors to be fit and to look like GQ models. I know, I know it seems that way this morning. <laughs> Churches always sing songs about, about being powerful, about victorious living, about victory in Jesus. We only sing songs about that. Pra pastors preach about finding your destiny and chasing your dreams. We don't talk about being weak. We don't talk about being needy. We don't confess our sins anymore. We're, we're insecure about our insecurities, and we want no one to see them. We have to ask this morning, are we discipling Christians to hide their weakness and to always look put together? Or are we discipling Christians to confess their weakness and to lean completely on the power of God? Are we creating churches where weakness is a weakness and we must rely on our own strength? Or, or should we create churches? Could, could Christ Fellowship be a place where we find freedom in being weak? We find joy in being weak. Will we be a church like 2 Corinthians 12, a church where we boast all the more gladly in our weakness? so that the power of God may rest on us. In 2 Corinthians 4, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul sees things like this. He sees things differently than us. He sees things upside down like Jesus Christ. Y yes, he knows that the gospel is glorious and the gospel is powerful, but he also knows that God chooses to display this power in our weakness. And so we should pray for that today. We should 
be desperate for that today. We, we should be praying, Lord, help us be a people who don't hide our weakness, but who boast in our weakness. Lord, help us be a church that doesn't pretend to have it all together, but who leans completely on your power. Lord, help us be a church where we where all may see that the surpassing power belongs to you and not to us. That's what Paul wants to teach us this morning. This is what I pray that God teaches our hearts. And, and the first thing he teaches is that our weakness displays God's power. Our weakness, your and my weakness, brothers and sisters, displays God's power. Paul begins with this encouragement in verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure, this, this gospel, this gospel ministry, and he says this about us, in jars of clay. Now, a jar of clay in this culture, it would have been ordinary, Jars of clay in this culture were, were nothing but ordinary day-by-day day pots that were used for common use. So think of a jars of clay like, like plastic Tupperware, like, like a paper plate that we would eat off for a moment and just throw away. It, jars of clay were known for their breakableness, for their weakness, for their ordinariness, for their feebleness. And Paul's saying through his word that this is you and me. We are weak. We are ordinary. We are feeble. We are needy. And you and I, might, we might shy away from confessing this to, that this is true of us. We, we might shrink back from anybody seeing anything broken about us. We, we might do everything we can to avoid the appearance of weakness but it's true. The Bible says that that is true of you, and it's a grace to see it and to lean into it. Because the Word of God teaches that there is a purpose for your weakness. The Bible says that there is a reason that God chooses weak people like you and me for His work. Look at verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show He's saying this is the purpose, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. To show that the surpassing power that's displayed in your life is not you. It is God in you. I heard a story about a pastor who went to the Louvre Museum in Paris. And he wanted to see a beautiful painting by one of his favorite artists. That was the reason he wanted to go there. And so he asked his tour guide, he said, please take me to the spot where this priceless painting is put on display. So they walked up to the next floor and came up to this priceless painting. And you could tell it was priceless because there were security guards surrounding this one display. And it was all roped off, so you couldn't get within 10 feet. And yet something struck this pastor. Something struck this pastor. He said to the tour guide, this painting is so beautiful. This painting is so breathtaking. I can't take my eyes off it. But sir, 
why is the frame so ordinary? Why is the frame so unimpressive? And the tour guide responded, that's the point. That's the point. The point is so that you will be undistracted from the beauty of the painting. So that you'd be undistracted from the glory. And and the same is true for us. There's a reason that we're breakable. There's a reason that we're ordinary. There's a reason that we're weak. It's so that we do not distract from the treasure. That we wouldn't distract from the glory of the gospel. That we would not distract for one minute, take someone's eyes off of Jesus. We are weak so that it's abundantly clear that the power doesn't belong to us. The power belongs to God. That's so countercultural, isn't it? So countercultural to the world around us and the people we work with and the people we're in class with that want to appear impressive and want to appear, appear like they, they got it all together. And it's even, it's even countercultural to the church. I love what John Henley said says, he's an English pastor, he says this, the the pressure of trying to find strength in you is crushing. This idea that if you dig deep down far enough, you'll find strength there, when the reality is the deeper down you go, you just find more weakness and more brokenness. And then we think something is wrong with us And then your tendency is to pretend and to fake it like you have all the answers, all the endurance, all the patience. And you end up living a version of yourself that's not real. And then he says this, you are not meant to find strength in you. You are meant to find strength in Christ, in Christ and the Holy Spirit working through you. You're not meant to find strength in you. It's not meant to come from you. You're meant to find strength in Christ and his Holy Spirit powerfully working through you. See, all our weakness is just a a glorious opportunity to display God's surpassing power. For people to, to look away from us, to see that there's nothing unique about us. No, the uniqueness is found in Jesus. The uniqueness is found in Christ. We're not impressive. We are simply ordinary. Sorry to bust your bubble today. We are simply ordinary, but Christ is supremely impressive. And his surpassing power is more than enough for you. And so this wonderful list that we find in verses 8 to 9, it's, it's Paul's way of displaying that the, the surpassing power of God belongs to God. The surpassing power belongs to God. When we read these, these uh, groupings in verses 8 through 9, it's not saying this. It's not saying, hey, life is really bad, but it's not as bad as it could be. Life is really bad, so so keep your head up. 
It's just all about you having a good perspective. It's not what it's saying. It's all. No, it's saying that life is really hard. That, that you're really weak, but God's power meets you in your weakness. God's power will meet you in your weakness. So Paul says, you and I, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. In verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. He's saying, people may attack you. Tornadoes might rip through your city. Cancer might come to your house. Your anxiety might be excru excruciatingly heavy. Fostering might be really hard. But listen, God will not let you be crushed. That's a promise. God will not let you be crushed. He says, you and I, we are perplexed, but not driven to despair. What Paul's saying is that our hearts, we might cry out, why? You might wonder, why? Why is this happening to my family? Why are we facing this sorrow? Why is my marriage in shambles? Why, why is this sudden diagnosis coming to my life? I don't know about you, but that's really encouraging to me because here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, don't be surprised when life doesn't make sense. He said, I'm, I'm perplexed. Did you see that? He said, we are perplexed. He's saying, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. We might ask why things happen, but we never have to ask who's in control. That's why God's people are not driven to despair, because we know that God is on his throne. And he will not crush us. I love how Tim Keller teaches the difference between sorrow and despair. Do you know the difference between sorrow and despair? He says that sorrow comes when we lose a good thing. And losing a good thing is consolable. Yet despair, he says, is different. Despair is when we lose an ultimate thing, and that is inconsolable. Keller goes on to say, when you lose the ultimate source of your meaning and your hope, there are no alternatives to turn to. It breaks you, and that's why it's despair. And this is why we can be perplexed as God's people, but not driven to despair. Because we might lose a ton of good things, but we can't lose the ultimate thing. We cannot lose Jesus. We cannot lose our treasure of Jesus Christ who lived for us and died for us and who rose again for us. You and I, he says, are we are persecuted, but not forsaken. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Listen, everyone in the world might turn against you. Everyone in the world might turn against you. We as Kentucky fans like to say, what's well, the shirt? It's like, we against the world. Or Georgia, and then we just fall apart, it looks like. 
Everyone in the world might turn against you. Listen, your coworker might turn against you. Your family members might hate you for following Jesus. Listen, right now, you might feel completely alone right now. And yet God speaks this precious promise over you again and again. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love William Barclay's translation. He says, we are persecuted by men, but never abandoned by God. We are persecuted by men, but never abandoned by God. And then finally in this list, he says, we are struck down, but not destroyed. Everything might seem like it's stacked against you this morning, but listen, God is for you. Everything could be stacked against you this morning, but God is for you. Literally, the whole world could be against you. And listen, the glory of God and the power of God is greater than everyone else. Everyone might seem like they're turning against you, but the Bible says God's steadfast love endures forever. Paul reminds the church in Rome of this. He reminds us of this when he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, we are afflicted every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. That is you hidden in Jesus. So if that's you hidden in Jesus, then don't hide your weakness. Don't hide your weakness because it's how God displays his surpassing power in your life. Second, our dying brings forth life. Our dying brings forth life. He said we shy away from suffering, right? We shy away. I mean, most of us in here, we don't like to think about death. We don't like to talk about death. And I'd be anxious even when I bring up the word death. But the gospel truth here in this passage is that only through dying can we experience resurrection in Jesus. Look at verse 10 and 11. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul's teaching us when we share in the sufferings of Jesus, when we share in the death of Jesus, we will also experience the resurrection of Jesus. Actually, He's saying it's only through experiencing his dying that you'll experience his risen life. There's no other way to do that. This is what theologians call the, the Christian's most 
essential doctrine, meaning it has to be the, the bedrock, the anchor to your faith, and that's the union that we have in Christ. That we are united to Jesus in his death, and we are united to Jesus in his resurrection. That's what, what Paul says in Galatians 2 when he says, For I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. This is good news for those who are suffering, because if you're like me, I can feel completely alone in my suffering. I can feel completely alone. Does anybody else feel that way when you're suffering? That, that everybody's forgotten you, that no one is with you. We feel like in our hardest moments that Jesus has left us alone. When our marriage is falling apart, we feel like we're alone. We're the only marriage struggling in the church. When we're laying alone in the hospital bed, we can think everybody's forgotten, even God himself. But Paul's saying here it's actually in our hardest moments when we experience the power and the presence of God. Through our union with Jesus, suffering's not getting easier. It's not that it's not hard, but he's saying when we experience suffering, we will experience resurrection too. So Paul's saying, don't be surprised when your life is shaped by the cross. When your life feels like death, but also don't be surprised when you experience resurrection. Also don't be surprised that when you think you're forgotten, that God raises you from the dead. This is key to Paul's ministry because remember, he's being ridiculed by false teachers. He's being ridiculed by the false teacher. They're scoffing, saying, Paul's, Paul's not really an apostle Paul's not really an apostle, or he wouldn't be suffering, or he wouldn't be so weak. But Paul says, actually, actually, it's my suffering with Jesus that proves I'm following Jesus. It's this dying that, that proves that I am at one with Christ. And Paul even goes on to explain that that this isn't just for him. This is for your benefit too, church. He says this in verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Death is at work in me so that life can come to you. So, so my suffering is for your good. When I go through suffering and I keep clinging to Jesus, I keep hoping to, in Jesus, it's not just for me, it's for you too. I can't help but think that, that Paul's mind and his heart didn't, didn't run to, in this moment, a, a thought of some garments laying around his feet. Some garments laying at his feet, the, the, the garments of Stephen, who while being stoned, he saw look up and see the, the risen and reigning Jesus beholding his glory. And I bet Paul, 
heard his words echoing in his heart when he's writing this, that even in Stephen's dying, even in his dying, he's crying out, Lord, receive my spirit. Even in his dying, Stephen testified to the hope of resurrection. Oh, I might breathe my last breath on this earth, but it will not be my last breath. For as surely as I die, Christ will raise me up. And Paul knew that, that in, in someone else's dying, oh, it might lead to life in others. And so church, I say all this say, to say, don't hide your suffering. Don't pretend like everything's okay. Like don't hide your suffering from your kids and don't hide your hurts from other Christ Fellowship members. Don't keep your cancer to yourself or your marriage struggles to yourself because God wants to display his resurrection life in you to others. In fact, if you hide your suffering from others, you'll also miss out on their celebration of your resurrection. Oh, if we hide our suffering from others, we'll also rob one another of joy when God shows up and shows off. Christ's fellowship weakness is the way to know his power. Death is the power, the pathway to experience his life. It's a pathway for you to know the power of his resurrection and others to know it too. And finally, we see that our faith in his power brings God glory. Our faith in his power brings, God's, brings God glory. Paul quotes, as we said earlier, Psalm 116 that we read at the beginning of the the service, he, he quotes from verse, in verse 13 from Psalm 116. A psalm where if you were listening earlier, the, the writer of this psalm is in the valley. He's facing troubles. He has suffering, greater suffering than most of us probably even know. And yet the psalmist is singing of how the Lord always hears his voice. How the Lord hears his desperate pleas for mercy, even in his deepest sorrows. And so the psalmist says, I will continue to believe, even in my affliction, I will continue to believe, and I will continue to speak of the Lord. And Paul saying that we can do that too. That we can do that too in our greatest Sorrow. We can do that too in our deepest valley, in our greatest pain. We can continue to believe and we can continue to say that God is enough to, to speak in the midst of our sorrow that our Lord is enough. That's what faith is. It's not faith in our power. It's a relentless rest in God and his power. It's emptying all hope in myself and collapsing all hope in God and in his power. 
completely surrendering, relying all hope in the Lord. Collapsing all hope in the God who raises the dead. You know, this is what it means for you to believe in Jesus. This is what it means for you to believe in the gospel. The the gospel isn't just a a nice story about a nice guy named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago and who died on a cross and who rose again, but it's just totally detached from you. Now, trusting in the gospel is resting all our hope in Jesus so that his story becomes my story. It's believing that when Jesus died on that cross, I died too. All my sins were put to death. All the wrath I deserve was put on him. The hell that I should have gone through was put on Jesus. And when he rose again, I rose again too. When he rose again, his resurrection is now mine. That's what it means to believe the gospel. It's when the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is the greatest thing that defines you. It's your story now. And that's Christ Fellowship. That's our gospel hope. That is our gospel reality in this very second. It's not an empty hope. It's not an empty wish that something might come true. No, it's completely resting in the power of the resurrection. Completely resting in the power of the resurrection where we can say with Paul in verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. If you believe in Jesus today, you can say that with as much confidence as the Apostle Paul. Because Jesus is risen. You can say knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also and with Jesus bring us with you into his presence. And look what happens when a church quits hiding. No longer hides anymore. No longer wants to cover up our weakness. No longer wants anybody to see our broken places. Look what happens when we trust God's power in our weakness. Verse 15 says this, for it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. When God shows his surpassing power in your weakness, it extends grace to others who are in need. Isn't that a beautiful purpose? A beautiful purpose of God that when God displays his surpassing power in your weakness, it gives grace to others. It gives grace to others. Like, like, listen, no one in this room needs you to have your act together. No one in this room needs you to act like you have your act together. Like when I say no one, your spouse doesn't need this. Your children doesn't, don't need this. 
your friends, your family, they don't need to see you act like you or pretend like you have it all together. Act like you are strong enough. What they need more than anything is to see you desperately relying on the Lord. That's what your kids need more than anything in your life, to see you desperately relying on Jesus. So so that we can show other people that God's power will be made perfect in their weakness. So that we can show other people who who know they're not enough like you when we keep pretending that, that Jesus will be enough for them too. Listen, you acting like you're strong enough sets everyone up, including yourself, for failure. You acting like you're strong enough sets everyone up, including yourself, for failure. But you relying on God is a grace. You relying on God is a grace to you and a grace to everyone around you. Isn't that a beautiful thing when we cast all our hope on Jesus? When we confess our weakness and we don't hide and we completely cast all our faith on Jesus. It's a grace to others. Like the other night when we were at our members meeting and people came up to me and they talked about their struggles at work and I got to pray with them and talked about a a recent diagnosis that they were facing, and I got to pray with them. Or when I'm here this morning and we're singing Christ, my hope in life and death, and I see brothers and sisters clinging to one another as they're clinging to Jesus, that is a grace to me. That's a grace to me that I don't want you to hide, and I don't want to hide anymore. What a beautiful thing that God does in our hearts weakness. But finally, did you notice this isn't the ultimate purpose? The ultimate purpose of your weakness, the ultimate purpose of you collapsing completely on God in your weakness is that God gets all the glory. God gets all the glory when our lives scream, we are not enough, but he is enough. That's the reason that we're weak, so that people see sinners saved by grace, so that people can look at rebels like us rescued by Jesus and can only say the power belongs to Jesus. They couldn't do that. The power belongs to Jesus. When people see you rejoicing in the midst of your sickness, that they have to say, It can only be the power of Jesus. When people watch your family sing to Jesus and cling to Jesus in the midst of the valley, the only thing people can say is, it's not them. The surpassing power belongs to the Lord. It's all about Him. So Christ fellowship. Why would we hide our weakness if our weakness could display his surpassing power? 
Why would we try to pretend to have it all together if it distracts from the glory of Jesus? Why would we want to be impressive when people could be more impressed with Jesus? I don't want to hide anymore. And I pray by God's grace and for God's glory that you don't want to either. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us be a people who don't hide our weakness, that don't cover up our need, that don't try to do everything we can so that people don't see that we're broken. Lord, I pray that you would help us not pretend anymore. But Lord, we would repent of all self-reliance on ourselves. We would run from the emptiness of thinking that we have it together, that we are strong enough, and Lord, that we would collapse all our faith, all our hope on Jesus. Lord, that we would run from our sins because we can't save ourselves, and we would collapse all our hope on Jesus who lived in our place and who died for us and who rose again so that we can say that we have died with him. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. But Lord, I pray that it's not only from turning from our sins and placing our trust in Jesus the first time, but Lord, I pray you would help us daily daily renounce trusting in ourselves and that we would rest completely in your strength. That it would be a joy for us to say that we're not enough so that others might receive the grace and see the glory of Jesus being enough. Lord, would you help us do this? Because every single one of us will leave out of here trying to live the illusion that we got it together. But Lord, in our brokenness, in our neediness, in our weakness, Lord, would you meet us there for our joy and for your great glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.